Reno is a city of food. When Liv and I were first dating, I would take her to all these fancy places. You know, we were courting. I wanted to show off a little bit. We were in Sydney, Australia. I wanted to show her what a good time was. So I would take her to the spots I knew, places I knew this is the place to get a good meal. I'd get excited when she asked, where are we going tonight? Oh, you'll see. We're going all out. I'd take her to the best restaurants I knew to take her, Mexican, Thai, fusion, Australian. I didn't even know that was a genre of food until I was in Sydney. It is. And yet every time we'd finish our food, the meal would get done, I'd ask, how was it? She'd just sigh and go, ah, I've had better in Reno. I'd be so mad. How could the food be better in Reno, this biggest little city? What is this place? I've never even heard of Reno, let alone with the food's better than that. We're in Sydney, Australia. This is the place to be. Sydney. The sun is setting. We're in the city. We just had Italian food. How could it get better? Fast forward. July 2022. I step off off an airplane, come down the stairs, Reno Tire Airport. The next day, I'm standing in line. In and out. (laughs) I get to the checkout. I'm told I'm not asked to order the double-double, small fries, and a fountain drink. Okay. My number is called out. I'm nervous, but I'm expectant. I know God's moving here. (laughs) I take my first bite, and then a second, a third. I'm not sure whether to laugh or cry. It's so good. How did they do it? The, the Thousand Islands? Where are these islands? I need to know. <laughs> and that's my testimony. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, and now I'm found. Found mostly in in and out And since then, I've been discovering more and more food. And Reno, Reno really is a city of food, and not just food, but good food. There's over 350-plus restaurants in Reno alone. That's almost one for every day of the year. There's so many options for what you're feeling. If you're feeling fancy, there's the casinos, the Atlantis, the Peppermill. If you want edgy, mixed with the latest trends and the small possibility of food poisoning, there's Midtown. You're wanting something quick, reliable. There's your fast food, your In-N-Out, your Chick-fil-A, your Canes, whatever it is. You're wanting digestion problems. There's Taco Bell. (laughs) Whatever it is. There's so much good food. And not just in Reno, but the U.S. I don't know if you know this, but there's 6,500 restaurants in Nevada and 750,000 plus in the U.S. alone. We live in a nation and also a city that loves good food. The problem, however, is too much of a good thing can be bad. Research finds this, that about six in 10 Americans say they eat more than they should, either sometimes or often. Majority of Americans report they eat more junk food than they should, and the biggest reason, people say, is convenience. And yet, against this backdrop, thousands of restaurants, 738 million people still go hungry today. And we throw away $444 billion of food every year in America. $444 billion every year. It's not just food. The misuse of alcohol, pleasure, social media, they all cause sort of problems in excess. Now what's interesting is that all of the above have one thing in common. The body. 
And we're continuing our series today on return. Now, up until this point, we've been discussing core practices that we want to return to as a church in 2024. Now, you may have been here for the last week. We've talked about mission, church, evangelism, serving. Last week, Pastor Chris discussed prayer. And today, we come to fasting. Simply put, fasting is the spiritual practice of not eating for a set period of time for the sake of feasting on God. Now, fasting is what most scholars call the misused and misunderstood practice of all. Now, recently, it's become a bit of a buzzword in the health world. I don't know if you've come to grips with this, these terms like intermittent fasting, detoxes, juice cleanses. Science is really coming to grips with the idea that fasting does indeed have real health benefits from detoxing the body, slowing aging, improving our immunity, and even disease prevention. In some, fasting is not only useful but beneficial to our bodies. But there's more to the story. If we study the Bible from front to back, we see a story unfold. The story of God's interaction primarily with humanity. More specifically, God's interaction with us as humanity, not only through our souls, but through our bodies. Right in Genesis 1, if we read it together, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. You and I are created to bear God's image, setting us apart from the rest of creation like nature and animals through our bodies. We image bear for God through what? Our bodies. Now fast forward to Jesus' life. He's born in what? A body. He lives in a body. He heals the sick in a body. He walks in a body. He dies in a body. And then he's risen again in what? His body. You may have heard it through this term, incarnation, and that just simply means taking on flesh. This idea of the body, the physical being. Even to the end of scripture, at the end of the story, we're told of heaven coming to earth, where we will be what? Raised with Christ in a body. Now set aside scripture for a moment, even if you're new to faith or new to the Bible, set aside scripture for a moment. At a basic level, even today, you came here in a body. You will leave in a body. You will go to sleep in a body. You're listening, hopefully, in your body. Even at an emotional level, our emotions inherently involve our bodies. Laughing till our stomachs hurt. Crying in a moment of sadness or grief. Sickness, health. Smiling so much that we can't contain it. The smile just pierces through our bodies. Breathing, eating, drinking, talking, movement, birthing, sickness, health, they all involve one thing, the body. The most intimate things you will do in this life are not just your souls or your minds, but through your bodies. Many of you who are married, you met your spouse, not in the mind, but in your bodies. When I took Liv out to a date, we sat there in our bodies. But there's a problem. A disconnect exists between how our culture sees the body and how the Bible sees the body. Now, if we're not careful over time, very subtly, very quietly, through marketing, through politics, TV, social media, trends, influence, the way culture sees something becomes the way things we see in church. In other words, the way culture sees a given thing is how we see it in church. How many of you know sometimes they're separate? 
So before we discuss fasting, before we dive into the practice as fasting as a formative practice, we have to frame it in relation to not a cultural definition of the body, but a biblical one. Because fasting intimately involves the body, we have to get the image of the body first right. Or as Kathleen Dugan writes, fasting in Christianity is only itself when it realizes the sacredness of the body. And the issue with our body and culture today is just that, it's no longer sacred. Most of our understanding, if we're honest, of the body is formed through things like popular culture or music or art or intellectual thought. Now that becomes problematic when we consider, well, how does culture view the body? And I wanna briefly go through with you three ways that Scott McKnight, in his book on fasting, outlines how we as Westerners can view the body today. Are you with me? And so Scott McKnight, he sums up three ways. Number one, the body is a monster to be conquered. Number two, the body is a celebrity to be glorified. And number three, the body is a cornucopia to be filled. And so let's look at these together. Number one, the body is a monster to be conquered. Some of us in this room or online have learned to see the body as sort of a monster, this idea that the body is a mesh of competing desires that we need to tame and conquer into submission. The body is not an ally in our quest to be like Jesus, but an enemy that needs to be defeated. We need to overcome it. I shame myself and my body in the name of spiritual conquest. We dedicate ourselves to fierce purity and holiness, even to the point of physical mistreatment of our bodies or hatred of them. Fasting then becomes not beneficial, but harmful, in which we work tirelessly like a UFC fighter trying to make weight, starving ourselves to discipline our bodies in the name of spiritual conquest over them. We become like Catherine of Siena who starved herself to death in the name of fasting, something that Jesus never modeled, nor taught, nor is beneficial. Well, some of us, we view the body as a celebrity to be glorified. Instead of using our bodies to glorify God, we use the body to glorify ourselves, to put ourselves on the pedestal. We are obsessed, if not controlled, by the need to look a certain way, a slender body, the right weight, the right haircut, fashionable clothing, and are always in need of a mirror. We spend a disproportionate amount of time and money making ourselves look desirable to someone or to ourselves, something other than God. It's why the cosmetic industry is worth $535 billion. Our bodies are never enough to us. Even how God gave them, it's never enough. We catch a glimpse of ourselves in a mirror, a reflection, the glass, and we are reminded that our bodies will never be good enough. And so fasting with this view becomes about weight management or looking right or looking the right way for someone or something. Lastly, some of us view the body as a cornucopia to be filled. Now this is just a simple way of saying some of us naturally relate to our bodies as things to be satisfied through physical pleasure, rich foods, drinks, substances, sexual desire, in and out. The body is the primary place the only place for my desires to be filled, regardless of whether they are beneficial or not. It's this hedonistic approach, or to use the language of the New Testament, gluttonistic approach, in which we are never fully satisfied, but always chasing the next thing. The body's primary purpose as a cornucopia to be filled is one thing, pleasure. That's what life's about, at all costs. 
Dallas Willard, he writes this, for most people, on the other hand, their body governs their life, and that is the problem. Even professing Christians, by and large, devote to their spiritual growth and well-being a tiny fraction of the time they devote to their body. The problem with the Western conception of the body is this, that it goes against what the body is intended for. Our bodies are not designed to be hated nor dominated. Neither are they intended to be vessels through which we outwork a displaced sense of identity or a pursuit of pleasure. See, our bodies and what we do with our bodies visibly demonstrate one thing, the very core of what we are made to be, loving God and loving people. To be image bearers, that Genesis 1 story we, we mentioned a minute ago. The body is a good thing. God made it for good. He made it. It's why Jesus came in a body. He died and rose again in a body. The body is a good thing. It should be cherished, nourished, properly cared for, not as our master, but as a servant of God. The biblical view of the body doesn't remove its meaning, but places it in its rightful place. It's why Paul can say things like this, present therefore your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. To say we love God, we wanna follow him with everything but our bodies is to miss the point. It's like me saying I love my wife without acknowledging that my body, my physical body, has a fundamental role to play in our relationship. To say I love Liv and then never come home and never see her again, is to not love her. And so the practice of fasting is so powerful because it acknowledges this, that not only do our souls and our minds need redemption and formation, but our bodies do too. Now just pause with me for a moment. Biblically, historically, culturally, fasting has been seen as a key practice. Same vein as prayer or worship or scripture reading, fasting has been a fundamental pillar in the life of church. For a millennia, fasting has been practiced by the people of God, modeled and taught by Jesus himself. Consider the Old Testament with me for a moment. The Old Testament, throughout it, fasting is frequently mentioned, beginning with Moses, who fasts for 40 days on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34. Now, moving forward into Leviticus, the practice of fasting is seen in the Jewish observance of Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. In the prophets, Zechariah, Isaiah, fasting is frequently mentioned and was common to the people of Israel. King David, Elijah, both fasted as a response to God. King David mourning the loss of his son, Elijah fasting for 40 days like Moses. Even in Daniel, you may have heard of the Daniel fast. We see Daniel avoiding the choice foods of the king for 10 days in modeling fasting. In Joel, Esther, the prophet Jonah, we see fasting as a response to God throughout. And throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, we see fasting both as a natural and normal practice. Fast forward with me to the New Testament. Yeah, the prophet Anna fasts when Jesus is brought to the temple in Luke 2. Jesus himself, a few chapters later in Luke 4, he'll fast for 40 days in the wilderness, both symbolic of the Exodus story in the Old Testament, but also he fasted. Bodily, he physically participated in a fast himself. Most scholars estimate that Jewish people of the time of Jesus in the first century fasted twice a week as a normal rhythm practice of the first century. 
something that Jesus in Mark 2 and Matthew 6 assumes his disciples would continue in. Read it with me. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, get the CeraVe out, so that it will not be others, obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now what's Jesus saying here? Notice that Jesus doesn't command fasting. He simply implies it when you fast. Similar to prayer and giving in earlier verses, if you read, he says the same thing. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. Jesus implies that fasting, like giving or prayer or worship, will be a natural and normal practice for those who are modeling their lives on his. Not only that, but when we fast, as with prayer and giving, God sees us, and when done properly, the Father sees what is done in secret and rewards us. In some, then, the motivation for fasting should not be through obligation, kind of dragging our feet through the mud, but of want and a desire to, just as much as prayer or giving or worship. The early church would go on to practice fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, moving into not so distant history. People like John Wesley, Luther, Edwards, Bonhoeffer, Andrew Murray, maybe you're familiar with these names, recommended fasting as a normal and natural practice. Even as I speak now, we are in the season, the global season of Lent, in which people all across the world, not just in Reno, but in the whole globe, partaking some form of fasting. So where did fasting go? Why don't we talk about it? Where did it go? How did a practice so fundamental and, faith, and formational to our faith, practiced by Christians for over a millennia, become seemingly irrelevant, forgotten, and if we're honest, kind of weird? Like not eating food. What's that about? If we, distud, if we study the decline of fasting in Western culture, the root of the issue goes back to what Dugan McKnight mentioned earlier, that fasting in Christianity is only truly itself when we realize the sacredness of our bodies. And if we're honest, in Western culture, the body is anything but sacred. It's just a piece of meat, something that we can market, sell, objectify, devalue, misuse, and even abuse. The Bible is not only distance from us in time, but in culture. And so when we read scripture, we have to read it on its terms and not ours. We have to take off our Western culture lens, put on the writers of the New Testament's lens. And when we read scripture, we see that right from beginning to the end, the body is of extreme value and importance. But when we look at Western culture, we see that the body is devalued and of little importance or the wrong importance. It's only with and through my body that I receive a place in time and space in human history. Through my body, I'm giving a family, a language, a culture, a set of talents with opportunities to use them. A whole realm of history is based on what people did, not just through their minds or souls, but through their bodies. 
striking thing about scripture is how valued the body is and the alarming thing about our culture is how devalued the body is and if we're honest sometimes this creeps into church we have an understanding or a theology of church or giving or worship even our souls but a theology of the body what does that mean we're comfortable if we're honest many of us in this room of worshiping God in our hearts like we did a moment ago praising him with the depths of our souls, even encountering him in scripture and videos and teaching and content with our minds, but loving God through our bodies? When was the last time you heard that? It almost seems distant, if not unusual. And so you see fasting is so powerful because it recognizes this key fact that some of our formation as disciples of Jesus comes not only through our souls and minds, but through our physical bodies. And so, what could eating or not eating have to do with my personal formation? The question still remains, why fast? It's unusual, it's weird, borderline legalistic, and maybe even unconstitutional. So at the risk of an oversimplification, there are three primary ways I wanna share with you why we fast. Adoration, sorry, attention, formation, and consideration. And so number one, attention. I remember years ago, when I was about 19 years old, I was sitting with my father in the UK, and I asked him a question, and sometimes we'd do this, we'd go for coffee, and I'd just pick his brain. And I said, Dad, here's one for you. What's changed the most in us kids growing up? Like, what's changed the most to us being now 19, me being 19, to when we were little kids? He looked down for a moment, thought about it, thinking, and then he said this. I suppose you know it's this. When you were all younger, I'd go to work at 7 a.m. and I'd come home at 6 p.m. I hated leaving you guys to go to work. I was always so excited to come home because no matter how hard my day was, how frustrating work was, how tiring, how stressful, I could always guarantee that when I got home, as soon as I pulled up to the driveway, put my key in the door, you'd come running to the door to greet me. Throw your arms around me and you'd say, Dad's home. Your complete attention was on me, not on what you wanted from me or something else. And I guess, James, now that you're older, you're doing other things. Your attention is on that and not on greeting me. And that's fine. You're older now, but that, that's what was most different for me. There are a lot of things in life that demand our attention. As we go on, the demands of life increase, and naturally what we can give our attention to decreases. Demands increase, our attention can decrease. And in a digital age where everything is online 24-7, and often the first thing we see when we get up is a smartphone with an email update or a news notification, what we give our attention to matters more than ever. The question is not what demands our attention, but what will we give our attention to? Will we give our attention to the latest series on Netflix or calling a friend to check how the hospital visit went? Will we focus on our spouse after a long day of work, catching up with them for 15 minutes, or who won what at the Grammys last night? My point is that the demands on our lives as humans are only gonna increase. As we have kids, as we get a new job, as we move, whatever it is, it's only going to increase. 
And as time, technology, civilization moves on somewhat out of our control, what we give our attention to day to day is important. As the demands increase, which is out of our control, we still can control one thing, what we give our attention to. Fasting teaches us just that. It turns away our attention from ourselves, our desire for food, our hunger, our own way, the demands of our stomachs, and it turns our attention to a source of life outside of ourselves, outside of our stomachs. Fasting is so powerful because it reveals just that, what our attention is really on. And as we begin to fast, we are momentarily released from our hunger, our needs, our desires, our checklists, what's next to buy on the shopping list, and thrown upon something greater. As our attention turns, we become like the little child who can hear the key entering the door and the car pulling up to the driveway and sprint to it with all anticipation to our fathers to see and experience him. Our attention shifts. So fasting is about attention. Number two, it's also about formation. One of the things Jesus calls us to do fundamentally is to deny ourselves. Now, that automatically goes against what culture teaches us to do, which is to indulge ourselves, to overconsume. Here it is in Matthew. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any wish to come after me, I love that language, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? A number of years ago, there was an infamous scandal um, involving the data breach of an online website, and I won't name the website. Now, if you're familiar or not familiar with the story, this particular website was a website in which married people could secretly sign up, pay as users, become anonymous in order to have affairs with other married users. The literal slogan of this website was, life is short, have an affair. Users could log on, pay the monthly subscription, and use their platform. As of 2019, there are over 60 million users, with over one million affairs being bragged about per month. Now, when the website was hacked by anonymous hackers in 2015, the hackers released 37 million user details, including names, emails, phone numbers, you name it. Now, what obviously ensued were thousands of divorces, outed names, scandals, famous people on the list, well-known people on the list, and people who were in the neighborhood on the list. And some of the people whose names were released even resorted to ending their own lives because of the shame and guilt that they faced. Culture does not tell us to deny ourselves. Culture tells us to indulge ourselves. Our bodies are cornucopias to be filled. Our lives are about whatever we want. It tells us life's too short. Have fill in the blank. The reason Jesus calls us to deny ourselves is because if we do not deny ourselves, we will ultimately consume ourselves. Whether our marriages, relationships, jobs, finances, or our bodies. If we do not learn to deny ourselves, we are eventually consumed by what is within us. 
these disordered desires or disordered loves in the word of Augustine. We give room to these desires. We're in a culture it's celebrated and if not encouraged. And in turn become like the person Jesus is talking about here, gaining the whole world but losing our lives in the process. Now maybe it's not the desire to be unfaithful in your marriage, but something else. That dependency that no one really knows about that you've been hiding from your friends and family and you are so scared to tell anyone because you are so deeply ashamed. Or you're terrified to look a certain way, the need to look at things online, that you have this insatiable desire in you to have power, money, fame, attention, self-ambition, that no amount of money or materialism can satisfy. Maybe for you the desire is the need to look the part all the time. You wanna look good all the time to those around you and your friends and family to get likes, to be relevant, to be current or trendy on social media. Maybe that's your desire. In denying ourselves and taking up our cross, the symbolic representation of both death to ourselves and life in Christ, we are free to become who God made you to be. Image bearers, sacred bodies, bearing his image and his kingdom for a broken world to see. You see, this is the point of fasting. It is through fasting that the willingly practice self-denial. We willingly practice self-denial. And in denying ourselves through fasting, through giving up food for a short period of time, we are formed into the image of Jesus rather than deformed by the culture around us. As we fast, as we engage in this practice, we are freed from the need to have our own way, to indulge, have our desires. We do not need something to flourish or feel or thrive, but we become people as we fast that are fully and completely satisfied with God, in God, and by God alone. In the words of Dallas Willard, in fasting we learn that it's possible to not gratify an appetite and still survive. By fasting we learn just that, to subordinate our desires, not eliminate them, so we can become the type of peaceful people that Jesus calls us to be. Desires are not bad. Our bodies are not monsters. But fasting helps us reorder our desires appropriately by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we learn to view our bodies not as monsters or celebrities or cornucopias to be filled, but as sacred things, sacred vessels set apart for God and for His purposes. Number three, Fasting leads us into consideration. When I was in Sydney, I had the opportunity to lead a city group online um, in the continent of Africa. And we had various people from different countries. We had people from Nigeria, from Ghana, from Zimbabwe, from Uganda. Now, I'm going to be honest, the time difference was super inconvenient. We'd meet at 5 a.m., my time in Sydney, and people were always late. And I felt so disrespected. <laughs> Now, within our group, there was a man named Marcus. Now, Marcus would be there every week. He'd always be on time. And one week, he wasn't on time, and he wasn't there. So I messaged Marcus, and I checked up on him. I said, hey, we missed you today. Is everything okay? Anything I can pray for? And he replied, yes, we are okay. Sorry, I had to help with some building projects. Now, Marcus' occupation was a student. So immediately, I'm confused. Building projects? I asked, slightly confused. Yes, we built a place for our church to gather here 
in Uganda. You built a church. You mean to say that whilst I've been complaining about the 5 a.m. call time and people's lateness, you've been building a physical church for your church to meet in? Like, what am I doing? Yeah, he said, let me send you some photos. And I want to share with you the photos that he sent me. And they're going to put them up and they can just click through them. This was the church that Marcus built. You go to the next one. There he is on the left preaching from the handmade pulpit. And I remember receiving these photos and just breaking down. And just confronted with the reality of my selfishness. That I was consumed all the time with what I didn't have or what I wanted next or what t-shirt I wanted to buy next. And here I was complaining about my own church, the seats, the music, the preaching. And here, someone so close yet so, so far away from me has the unbelievable joy in the simplest of things. They are fundamentally content with what they have, be it small and even insignificant in my Western world. It's easy to forget what we have. In the demands of life, as our attention wanders elsewhere on jobs, on day-to-day, what we want next, the latest trend, the latest color to paint our house, whatever it is, as the desires we have become self-focused and self-interest on what we do not or do have, we forget to consider, we forget to remember, we forget what the psalmist said, blessed is he who considers the poor. Well, so what does this have to do with fasting, James? What does considering have to do with not eating? Well, this was the problem with Israel's fasting in Isaiah 58, and I'm going to read it with you. This is God's world to Israel, God's words, should I say, to Israel as they're beginning their fast. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, says God? to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. The problem here with Israel's fasting was not the fasting. This is something in a time of history, in Israel's history, that they were doing regularly and routinely. The fast was normal. The issue was not the fast, but that their fasting was not producing fruit. Well, what kinds of fruit? The kinds of fruit that considers those around them. With less, the oppressed, that addresses injustice, economic disparity, that looses the chains of injustice and sets the captives free kind of fruit that God wants to create in you and me today, and the kind of fruit that considers, the kind of fruit that looks at Marcus all the way across in Uganda and considers him. 
And so for most of us, we're not directly involved in injustice, but if we're honest, we might be indirectly, maybe through our buying habits, who we look down on in society, our consumption, the way we waste food, the things we throw away so easily, the things we complain about, the things we do not consider. You see, fasting is not only meant to redirect our attention to God and form us in Him, it's also meant to move us to a place of consideration and push us into action. Fasting pulls our attention onto God that He might form us, our minds, our bodies, our souls, and then it pushes us from a place of consideration into our cities, into the city of Runa, a broken city. Now, this is not just the responsibility of Victory City Church, the church. It's our collective responsibility, both individually and collectively, as the church. Outside of this building and its programs, fundamentally, fasting should move all of us individually to impact those around us and the injustice around us. As individuals being formed individually, but also as a collective body, with your bodies, but us as a body. Fasting moves us to this place of consideration, if we will let it. That as we go without food, we begin to consider what we truly have. As we feel the hunger inside us, we understand what it's like to become hungry. The poor, the hungry, the naked, the injustice in our world. In other words, as our stomachs are closed, our eyes are opened, and our hands and feet begin to move. And the cry of our hearts becomes not what can be done for me, but what can I do for others. So fasting is about attention. It's about formation and it's about consideration. And so church, fasting is a foundational practice found throughout scripture, taught by Jesus, practiced by the early church, and up until this point for thousands of years, but lost perhaps in recent years. That we in 2024, we as Victory City Church, everyone who calls this place home, whether in this building or online, want to return to. And so we have implemented three days of prayer and fasting every quarter for this year. And it is our hope that you would join us. Now, it's not supposed to be legalistic, a have to, something prescriptive, but something we hope can become a normal and routine practice like the same practice of prayer or scripture or coming together today or giving or worship. Our heart is just as prayer and these other practices are so common that we did them today. Fasting would be that too. And so to end practically, well, how do we fast? Common to the early church was a 24-hour full-day fast, which they practiced from the sundown of one day to the sundown of the next. Now, they would commonly fast twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. Now, the Didac, an early Christian document outside of Scripture that kind of is a sort of manual on how to do church in the first century, shows us that early Christians fasted twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays in this way. Now, some of us have fasted before. Some of us have never fasted. We went through this with our city group the other day, and we had some who had been fasting for years, and one person who's starting tomorrow to fast for the very, very first time. And that's beautiful. And for some of you, there are other considerations. Some of you work nights. 
Some of you work shift work that changes. You don't have a reliable schedule. Some of you are feeding mothers. You've just given birth or you are pregnant. Some of you have medical conditions that you should consult a doctor on before you start fasting. And so for some of you, fasting for three days or one holiday may be a bit of a stretch at the moment, and that's okay. Again, this, this practice of fasting is not meant to be legalistic. We all have to fast for these three days at the same time. We want fasting to go beyond that and just become something that we do as church in your own place of formation, journey with Jesus, and situation. Am I making sense? So for some of you, perhaps one meal. Perhaps it's breakfast that you love the most. You get the pancakes, the bacon, the eggs. How about giving up breakfast for these three days, or lunch, or dinner, or if you want to do it, the whole day, or the three days? These corporate fasts are not meant to be a burden, but a decision of the heart. And our hope is that as a church, we will see fasting become a normal part of our lives, whether weekly, in your own time, for a day, starting with one meal, or just in these corporate three days, every quarter, in which we would seek God with our attention, pray that he would lead us down the path of formation, and then show us what we need to consider for our families, for our cities, for our marriages, for our relationships, for our workplaces. And so tomorrow, we begin our first three days of prayer and fasting. Now, they're going to put up a link behind me. Um, I wanted to show you this link, and I'll read it too. If you go to victorycitychurch.com slash fasting, you'll find loads of resources. We don't want to just throw you into three days of prayer and fasting without guiding you, without prayer, without consideration. So if you go on there, we have some resources, and these are some of the resources to help you as you start tomorrow. We have digital prayer gatherings every morning, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We start at 7. It will be on YouTube. You can also find it through the website. From 7 to 7.30, we have prayer that we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray for specific needs of our community, of our cities, of our neighbors, of our church. So YouTube, 7 a.m. tomorrow we start. We have a free digital prayer and fasting guide that we put together. You can go on the website to this link again, scroll down, and the link is there. Just click it. It's free. Give it a read. It teaches us about prayer, about fasting, where to start, what to consider. Some recommended reading will also be on there to deep dive on your own time. And then most importantly, on Wednesday, we're going to come together. As we fast individually, we're going to come together corporately. And we're going to praise God together. And we're going to have a worship night. We've got Sherry Pace here in this building on Wednesday night at 6.30. And we have kids care. But can I just say this? Join us. Even if you decide that fasting is a bit of a stretch for you right now, join us. It's not an exclusive thing where you have to fast to come. We want you to be in this building so we can worship together, so we can turn our attention to God, so we can form us, and so we can think, what is the practical considerations for this week, for my life and for the life of Victory City Church? So join us in the building. As I close, our heart is simple. That you would just consider how you might begin to enter fasting. Not through compulsion, not dragging your feet along like a child being brought somewhere they don't want to be brought, but through desire, through a want, through a, I want to do this. Whether one meal, one day, our desire is that fasting might be rediscovered in the city of Reno. And so in closing thought, I want to say this. It's been said that a person is not defined by what they want from life, 
but how they respond to what life wants from them. And so those three reasons to fast. Some of you, your attention is being pulled by so many different things. Life wants something from you. You came in today and you're just exhausted. This week's been chaos. There's so many demands, whether it's work, with the kids, with my marriage, with whatever it is, fill in the blank. You just feel burdened by life right now. This 2024 is not how you wanted the year to begin. You just feel burden you feel like your attention is on so many other things other than fasting will i be successful will this job ever work will i ever get out of debt will my marriage ever be reconciled or does god see me but today god calls you to refocus your attention to set aside those things for a moment and focus on him others of you if we're being honest you've been deformed into the image of the world the way the world sees, the body, money, family, marriage, pleasure, whatever it is. And Jesus is calling you today, whether in the room or online, to be formed into his image and not the image of the world, to see things how he sees them, to be formed by him and him alone. And no doubt for many of us, we forgot to consider, probably if we're honest, that's most of us in the room. We've just got to consider 2024, we're in February, it's just gone so fast. I'm concerned about my car payment, this thing, this thing, you name it. You've considered everything else, your needs, your wants, your checklist, your home project. But God is calling you today to reconsider. He's calling you to consider the poor, the injustice, the marcuses in your life. God is calling you and us to consider what he considers. Thank you.